0: I remember the day when my parenting changed. Uh, We were at the playground, I don't know if people still do playgrounds, do you? And uh, my son had his new truck that he was very fond of in the sandbox. I don't know if we still do sandboxes, do we? Yeah? Okay, good. Well, my son was in the sandbox with with his new truck. And this was a day when I learned that adults and children share some needs together. Because I was looking at my son, I was mortified because he was refusing to share his truck with with anybody else. And other people wanted to participate and he just just would not have anything to do with that. He was not going to share his truck. And I was just mortified. It's like my my kid is not sharing. I was about to correct him. And the Holy Spirit illuminated Romans 2.1 to me with the question, how is dad doing with his new truck? Does he want to share his new truck? Does he want to share his new car? How do the parents do with sharing their new car or the new item that they really treasure? How are they doing with that? How are we doing in forgiving our brothers from the heart when we're offended. And all this sort of flooded in on me, and I realized we have to be careful as parents requiring something of our children that we're not even living out ourselves. That's when my parenting changed. When I realized there was this resemblance of needs across ages. Sometimes, You have those moments that are just so formative in your parenting, and that was it for me. There's a resemblance of needs across ages. Both parents and children have this similar need for forgiveness, for not not measuring up to what God requires of us, maybe not sharing our trucks. Welcome to the baptismal service of Ironworks Church. We are going to do a baptism today we're going to baptize one of our babies and you might be sitting there thinking why you do you why would you do that why would you baptize children especially if you're from a a larger evangelical context you might be saying what, what what would possess you to baptize children when they don't know you know anything yet the reason is because we find this similarity i'm going to answer that question for you if, you have that question today in this sermon today so please stand with me as we hear a reading from acts chapter 2 the day of pentecost sermon of simon peter and we're going to be reading Veronica's going to be reading for us the last few verses of simon peter's sermon this is acts chapter 2 veronica For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the word of the Lord. So this is the great sermon of the great apostle Simon Peter at this new epical moment in history. It's really a, this is the day of Pentecost. This is a, the beginning of a new epic that's, that the world is about to change. So we're at, a, we're at a hinge of redemptive history here. And this is the great Simon Peter making the inaugural sermon to usher in this new epic, this new dispensation, this new covenant for the whole world. It's, it's really a, an amazing moment when you see this, the world is actually changing right here and on this day that's being described. And, ri- and Simon Peter rises to the occasion to preach this, this inaugura- inaugural sermon, you can say, where he's saying we're, we're going from the old to the new. History is taking a step forward. And so as he teaches this, and children, if you've got your guide there, that's why you're drawing Simon Peter Just to let you know, you're drawing Simon Peter, the apostle, and you get to choose what symbol you want to put over his head, whether it's the dove or the fire, because he is bringing in this new moment. That's what you're drawing here first. And he is introducing, as he introduces this new epic, the Christian practice of baptism. Here it is. Here's where baptism gets introduced. This is the start of baptism. This is where it begins. Simon Peter issues this sermon he gets to the end of the sermon and he talks about how we're going to mark this new epic we're going to put this sign on us this new sermon uh, this new this new epic and so he tells us here in these verses if you look what baptism is for in the introduction of this christian symbol in this sign he says this is what baptism is for it's for living in forgiveness Right? Verse 36, he talks about crucifixion, which is the means of forgiveness. Verse 37, the people are tracking with him on the real issue and expressing their need for forgiveness. And then verse 38, he's very explicit. This is the reason we get baptized. See that in verse 38? For the forgiveness of sins. So this is the reason why we get baptized. To live in forgiveness, to live in a community of forgiveness, so we can live in the forgiveness of sins. And if you look at the next verse, verse 39, Peter identifies three groups, three categories of people to get baptized and to receive this promise. He says, You. He says, Those who are afar off. And in between that, he gives this other group, Your children. See that? You, those who are far off, and your children. Those are the ones who who are going to get this promise. Those are the ones who, who need this sign. Now, you might read that and say, well, he's just talking about future generations of people that are there, them and their children, their future generations. And I think he is talking about that, but not just that. He's not saying just future generations. And the reason I know that is because whenever there are these epical moments in history that are recorded in scripture. Whenever the Bible talks about this change where history is taking a step forward, where we're moving up, wherever that happens, the talk is always about you and your household and your children. It always comes up again, the whole household, you and your children. Peter is probably thinking here back to that other epical change with Abraham when God introduced the covenant with Abraham, and he said, this is another time, history's moving forward, and this this new epic is beginning, and and I'm gonna give you a sign, and he says, "This, this Abraham, this is for you and your children and your household, back in Genesis 15. And so he gives them this sign, and that sign was to be placed not only on Abraham, but on his children as well, on his household. That's the way it worked. And so it goes on in the book of Acts. You know, you read through the book of Acts and you find when baptism then is done, it's done on individuals and their households, right? You can look at Acts chapter 16. It happens twice. It's not just you that gets baptized, you and your household. Acts chapter 18, again, happens again. It's you and your household that gets baptized. And I'll tell you, as as I read the book of Acts and I see this pattern this makes more and more sense to me as a parent the older I get. The older I go, I I, I can see why it is that Peter includes children here in verse 30, in verse 38, in verse 39. I can see why he does it. He goes, if baptism is to live in forgiveness, and forgiveness is needed by both adults and children in order to live, ipso facto, baptism is for children. So I remember one time I had these friends. Um, we used to spend some time, Kay and I, with this other couple. And uh, we got to know each other. They were not uh, Christian believers. They didn't believe as we did. But we ended up doing things together, spending some time together, and I remember one day they came to me and they said, "You know, you guys seem to be pretty doing pretty good. like we look at what's going on in your family we look at your children, and you seem to be you know the children seem to be well behaved what what's what is it that you do in your household? what makes your household what it is?" what they asked and I said, "Well, uh, we might look like we're doing pretty good today, but check with us tomorrow, because <laughs> there are some days I wonder how good we're doing. We don't seem to be doing that great. They were, they were like, no, 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 we're serious, we're serious. We, we want to learn, we want to know how to be good parents. So we're looking at different households, and we want to know what makes your household what it is. So they really wanted an answer, and that, that put me in a dilemma. Because I thought about how I could answer, the different things I could say how would I talk about what it is that makes our household what it is? So I could talk about the interplay of nurture and fostering independence in our household, which is something Mary Kay and I talked about a lot. Could talk about how that kind of works for us. I could talk about the importance of communication, and more communication, and more communication, and over-communication. It's age-appropriate. It's like communication all the time, but age-appropriate communication, so you talk about everything. But in age-appropriate ways, I could talk about that. I could talk about the need for consistency and discipline. You know, any of these things, like any responsible parents would could bring up and say, you know, this is something in our household. I could even talk about creating in a child a sense of holiness that there are boundaries to the universe that you do not cross without pain (laughs) i could talk about that kind of thing but all these things are parts of our household but they weren't what made our household what it was because we weren't trying to raise well-behaved children we're trying to raise christian children So what was it? Well, I'll tell you what we did. I looked at how I was motivated as a Christian, as as a person. What is it that made me do right and eschew wrong? And I looked at it and I said, you know, there are consequences that I look at in my life. This is just how I work. I look at consequences for doing certain things and then I don't do those things because of the consequences, right? I say, if I'm gonna do that, consequences are going to be terrible. So I don't want to do that. And that's good. That helps me from doing, it uh, keeps me from doing some wrong things. And there are rewards that I look at in my life and I say, wow, if I do that, I'm going to get that reward. I want that reward. So I'm going to do that. And that helps me to do good things. So there are these consequences and there are rewards that are actually, this is how I function. That's what helps me. But what is it that makes me love righteousness? What is it that makes me want to do what God wants? What is it that really gets me out of bed in the morning? It isn't those things. It's not those things that get me out of the bed in the morning to want to do what God wants, to want to seek him, seek out what, he, what pleases him and just do what pleases him. That's not what does it. There's only one thing that I know that makes me want to do that. And it's not getting something that I deserve. It's getting something I don't deserve. That's what changes me. So children, as you're drawing here, you're gonna draw a semblance a resemblance. So you have this picture. You're going to draw an outline of your parent. Make sure it's big. You take one of your parents. You draw a big outline of one of your parents. Big enough because you're going to draw yourself inside there. You're going to have the same shape. Show there's a resemblance between you and your parents. Okay, So that's what you're drawing. So what makes me love obedience to God? It's not getting what I deserve. Because I often find that I don't want to do what's required of me. There are things that I know I should do, and I don't do them. And then I despair. But then I remember there's forgiveness in this covenant. In this covenant, I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm loved just as well, even when I haven't done well. And that changes me know, through God's forgiveness in Christ, I'm blessed, even though I don't deserve to be blessed, and I know I don't deserve to be blessed, and I'm still blessed, I still get the truck, and you know what, that enlivens me, that changes me, that's what changes me, that's what makes me want to do what God wants, that's what makes me love righteousness, and that, friends, is the Christian motivation, not... Do do right or else there's consequences, but rather, I am forgiven, therefore, do well. That's the Christian motivation. That's what turns a beast into a beauty. In short, to behave as a Christian, you need to know you're forgiven. So you're probably wondering what I said to my friends. And this is what I told them. I said, I see this dynamic in me. Like there are consequences, there are rewards, but what really changes my heart to want to, to love righteousness is not getting that, what I deserve, is that forgiveness. And I see no less need in my children for this dynamic. We seek to inspire them to love what is right so that they want to obey their parents, they want to speak truthfully, they want to not steal toys, So how is that done? You know, Ephesians 6 tells us, gives us the parental command, right? Ephesians 6 says, raise your children, the discipline and admonition of the Lord, of the Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning those things that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do that? If all the child knows in his life is Bad things, consequences, good things rewards. Bad things, consequences, good things reward. Bad things, consequences, good things reward. If that's all they know, then that's all they see in the world. That's not all there is in the Lord. You're not raising them in the Lord, because that's not all, all there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, there's this other dynamic, the dynamic of forgiveness operating in our hearts. To behave as a Christian, one needs to know one is forgiven. And so, children, that's why you're drawing, your next drawing that you're drawing is you have that that thought bubble where you're seeing, where you're expecting a punishment. You're expecting that punishment that you deserve. Instead, you're getting a cake. And that's affecting what you're doing in the rest of the picture, right? You're sharing because of that. I know it's kind of an involved picture, but you can do it. You can do it. But that's what we're looking at here. Because honestly, folks, I don't see a way to raise a Christian child without providing the same motivation of grace that I depend on as a Christian. I don't see how to do that. This is why we baptize infants. This is why we baptize babies. Because forgiveness is an essential element of raising a Christian child from the very beginning. We need it. They need it. Resemblance across ages. Extending grace to them as they fail us. Requiring forgiveness and grace from them as we at times fail them. Living in a community of forgiveness. Have to do that. So I don't know how to do that without giving the child from the beginning the sign that says to them, believe that you are forgiven. That's what this sign is saying to them. Forever after, if you see this sign, it's a call to them to believe that you are forgiven in Christ. So when they need to do well and they're not doing well, I can say to them, you've been baptized. You have the sign of forgiveness. Therefore, do well. You know, they're, they're, in our household, as kids were growing up, there were plenty of consequences. There <laughs> were plenty of consequences for not doing well. There were plenty of rewards also. Plenty of rewards for doing well. Plenty of rewards and consequences. But I remember one time I took, took um, a child into my office. I had a home office. Um, and the child had seriously misbehaved. Seriously misbehaved. I took the child into the office sat the child down, I said, here are the consequences for what you did. Here are the consequences. Child was getting more and more nervous. And then, I took the consequences myself. Took them on myself for the child. You say, wow, what did the child say? Didn't say anything. What did the child do? They just left the room because they were free. See, what effect did it have on the child? I don't know. But I wanted to do something to break into that world to let them know in Christ there's more than just consequences and rewards. There is some other dynamic. I wanted to somehow break into that with this other dynamic that is what makes our household what it is. That presence of living in forgiveness. You see, they need the promise as much as we do. That's our message for today. That is why I'm so grateful for verse 39. And that is why we're going to do what we're about to do now. You know, in the early 200s, Presbyter of Rome, Hippolytus.